Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. There it is. We hit a button. We start recording. So excited. <laughs> I feel like I'm running the track, track and field this morning. Um, this is great. Uh, okay. My guest today is a total badass. She is a marketing leader, over 15 years of experience, specialty in areas of sales and marketing alignment, enterprise, startup, marketing automation, marketing ops, sales forecasting, tracking, reporting, you name it. And she is a thought leader to the stars. And I'll have you know, her great, 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 great grandfather was Napoleon's right-hand general, the VP of marketing at Fortress IQ, Crystal Flau. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Casey. Thanks for having me on. Man, you are busy. <laughs> Lots going on. Yeah. Lots yeah. Going on. Even with COVID, we're just like, you're, there's, things, are, things are happening left and right. And, and uh, I, I'm excited to learn from you. This is our marketing leadership series, learning from you know, senior level marketers, big picture ideas, strategies, the future. So I want to just pass you this thing and shut my mouth. Here we go. Oh, it's heavy. You got it? I got it. I got it. I got it. All right. Nice. All nice, right. Nice grip there. I got okay. it. I'm going to put it down here though. Yeah. Yeah. That we that, don't want to smash. The I don't want to. Yeah. 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 So Thor's hammer, take that thing, smash yeah. for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception, set the record straight once and for all. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, everyone's talking about ABM. It's been around uh, for a while. I, you know, to me, I don't think ABM should be your demand gen strategy. It's not a strategy and it's not, it's not new. Um, for me, it should be a part of an integrated marketing strategy. And it's actually more on the sales side uh, than it is on the marketing side. Is so it? yeah, I mean, if you talk about trying to figure out accounts and yes, there's all the technology out there um, and that'll get into my second myth uh, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna smash. But um, I do think there's a lot of technology to enable ABM. But at its core, when you start to think about how you're going to go attack the market, um, it really is a sales first strategy, right? Who are those accounts? How are you going to get into them? Uh, where have we been successful in the past? And, you know, sales is at the front line to try and get into those front doors. And it's our job to enable them, whether that be from an inbound strategy or whether that be from a classic outbound slash ABM strategy. Interesting. Okay. So I love this right away. Even at the beginning, you're not just, you know, toting the party line about ABM saving the world, you know, curing all diseases. All you got to do is put the three letters in your resume somewhere that say ABM and then right, exactly. leads appear magically. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I mean, I started my career as a field marketer, right? I okay. was one of the first field marketers ever hired at Ariba long time ago, back in the day. And um, you know, this is what we did day in and day out. And we spent more time with the sales organization than we did with the marketing organization. And it was crafting these outbound strategies of, you know, you've got a rep and you've got a territory. Let's say they're in Nebraska, you know, what are the, what are the accounts that they care about? Yeah. You know, who's going to be a good fit? What are the types of marketing materials that you need to crack into those accounts? What's the messaging? Um, and just, you know, battle one-to-one, -one, right? And yeah. not these big, large campaigns, but how do you get in there with an educated message? 
that's going to resonate resonate with that account. And at its core, that's exactly what ABM is. Um, so field marketers everywhere, you've been doing this for, for decades. Um, and now technology has caught up to make it easier. Um, and I think marketing now has woken up that this should become part of their overall strategy. Got it. So not a new strategy, but new we got tech. some new tech. And new Correct. tech is celebrating like it's yeah. Best thing since fresh bread. And it's something you, you're like, man, I've been doing this. I, I've been doing this <laughs> without the tech. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you start talking about attribution too. I mean, I remember the Dave's going into Salesforce and manually figuring out if somebody had gone to an event, like one of my field marketing events. And if, if we had accelerated the deal, right. None of that existed. Um, Cause we were doing everything in Salesforce or, you know, even the things that were there before Salesforce, but we always were looking at it, right? Yeah. And and cobbling it together in some spreadsheet and doing pivot tables and all that fun stuff. And and I think marketing automation was the first foray into automating the marketer's life, right? And making mm -hmm. it easier. But that really was an inbound strategy. Um, so while demand gen folks in, in corporate marketing were doing all this fun stuff and their lives would become easier, field marketers were still doing things uh, you know, manually. Yeah. It sucked. And now, right, all that technology has caught up and field marketing doesn't necessarily have to have to do all that stuff by themselves. And they've got a bigger engine uh, back at corporate to help them do the analytics, the attribution, everything else that comes with it. So maybe the pivot tables are gone, but it, I, I get the sense that that, that question you, you said is, how do you get in? How do you get a message in front of them that resonates? It's like the tech doesn't magically solve that. It sounds like we're still, that sounds yeah. like a hard, is that a hard question or do you have like a magic answer you can? No, it's a hard question. It's, I mean, it's a hard question because I think everybody's different, right? It depends yeah. on who you're selling to. It depends if you're selling into enterprise. It depends if you're selling into SMB. Sure. Um, you know, it just, you have to understand your customer okay. and you have to understand how your product fits into that customer's purview, right? Like what is going to make them react? What is going to make them open the door? Um, and that's not something some piece of technology is going to help you understand. Um, you have to figure that out by trial and error, focus groups, uh, talking to the sales guys and gals and figuring out like what is resonating. And then you start to see trends, right? You know, you start to see industry trends or you start to see use case trends, and then you can start to do these campaigns in a box and, you know, kind of take it out there to the rest of the world. But at its core, trying to figure out what resonates with somebody is still a, a manual hand to, you know, hand to hand combat type of activity. Right. Right. I love the phrase you had there. What is going to make them react? What is going to make them open the door? And that reminded me of what you said earlier about the sales first strategy. And I know we're saying like ABM is not the world. So we're going to, we're going to go to the overall picture in just a second, but I'd love to get your take on it. Salesforce strategy. What, what does it look like when it's, when it's happening the right way? Can you talk a step, maybe like big step by step? Yeah. What is ABM and, and what do you mean by sales first? They're you're pushing them in first. How, how does that, what does that look like? Yeah. So I, the way that I look at the world, right. Is the, the, almost like a bullseye, right? Like there's okay. your whole, you know, TAM, like your, your target market. And then you take that and then you um, narrow it down to this, this bullseye. Um, I remember walking into host analytics and, <laughs> and, you know, I asked, Oh, are we doing ABM? And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. We've got a great ABM program. 
I'm like, okay, cool. How many accounts are in there? Like 4,000. And I'm like, <laughs> that's not ABM, right? That's a customized marketing campaign, right? That's 4, different. 4,000 accounts. Yeah, it's just, it's too much. Yeah. And so you have to take a look at what matters the most and what your sales organization can take on. Yeah. Right. Like we've got 10 sales executives at Fortress IQ. I'm not going to have a huge ABM campaign because the sales team doesn't have the capacity to prosecute those. Right. So I have a, a list of top 25 accounts. And those are the accounts that we know we can win at. We know um, they have the right titles. They have the money, <laughs> especially during COVID. Like, are they an industry that's actually booming? Um, and those are the accounts we're going to go after. And the way I look at it is those are the people I'm going to spend more money on, mm -hmm. right? I'm going to do more targeted advertising. I'm going to do an interesting uh, direct mail campaign. Um, I'm going to follow them around and spend money on that. And then, you know, spend time because that's the other thing we forget. It's not all about spending money. It's spending mm -hmm. the time to work with the sales folks to understand how we can help them. A uh, perfect example at Domo, we did this um, food truck campaign. And we picked the top 20, 25 accounts that we wanted to go after. Wow. And we basically paid for a food truck <laughs> to show up at the company. It was before COVID um, yeah. to show up at the company and say, look, we'll buy uh, your entire finance organization lunch at the food truck in exchange for a meeting with your executives. And it worked and huh. people did it. Right. And it was a fun stunt, um, but that costs money and yeah. it's to spend on spend money on those accounts that you think are going to have a higher likelihood of conversion right you gotta be so, smart about it you can't just buy everyone lunch no you can't or send everybody cupcakes right right um <laughs> please stop sending cupcakes um people send you a lot I, of cupcakes I, I they used to i mean not anymore but yeah. um we used to get cupcakes a lot at yeah, COVID cupcakes now yeah exactly can't Can do that gross. you'd be like uh, you don't want to eat these no <laughs> not really <laughs> have been <laughs> right um, um but yeah and i think wow. and then you you know when you talk about a bullseye you you then have you know the second tier right which is those accounts that you're not spending as much as you are on the top 25 but you know you're spending a good chunk of money on the advertising piece right it's yeah. light customization or they fit in certain verticals that you want to go after and you've got a great use case or a great case study that you can go focus on and put some money behind, you know, and then that outer ring of that bullseye is everybody else, everybody else that's in your TAM, everybody else you want to get in front of. And that's where traditional inbound starts to play a bigger role. Now, the magic of this is because all the money you're spending on outbound um, to those very few targeted accounts, those start to become your inbound, right? And mm. then the cycle repeats itself. So I think if you can create something like that, where you have all three pieces, um, you start to have a very successful ABM campaign and every quarter, right? You swap out those accounts um, mm -hmm. and see, and you know, focus on, are they opening what we're sending them? Are they not? If not, maybe our message is wrong. Maybe our tactics are wrong. Throw them back in the pool and let's get new accounts uh, until we figure those ones out. So, so the food truck sounds great. Kind of makes me hungry, honestly. I had a I salad. Know. It is. It's, it's lunchtime here. So is it lunchtime there? Especially if you started mentioning like what kind of food truck, I would be like party foul because if you mentioned some like burritos or some like fresh I Greek know. salads or something. You know what I've been watching on um, on Netflix is the the Chef Show with John Favreau and Roy Choi. The Chef Show. 
Oh, it's so good. And Roy Choi obviously has a, um, had the famous food truck for his Korean tacos. And so every time I watch it now, I'm like, all right, we're having tacos. I need tacos. The chef show. <laughs> you have to watch um, it. Cool. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Oh, oh, right. Because, oh, and this is tied to the movie he did, right? The movie. Correct. Yep. Did you see that movie? The chef movie? I have not seen the movie. I want to finish watching the chef show and then I watch them. Oh, you should go watch movie. it. It's so, okay. it's, uh, it's a good movie. I, I keep trying to watch it um, again. It's great. But oh, so he does his own show. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. I'm totally going to watch this later. Yeah, it's super fun. We'll just call the podcast early. We'll be like, okay, we're going to go get hit Netflix. We're going to go lunch. get tacos. Call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, so the food truck was fantastic. Sounds like cupcakes are out. Do you have any, like, I know this is a little tactical, but it's kind of fun to think about too, which yeah. is just like, do you have any, like, the good list and the bad list is like, yeah, do think about things like this and uh, maybe avoid. I mean, even you, like if I was going to send you something, what are the things that you were like, whoa, that's cool. And the things that you were just like not into. Yeah. I mean, I think the key is do your research, right? And um, if you're going to send it to one person, um, understand, right? Their their likes, their dislikes. I mean, you can find anything online, right? Like, totally. you know, spend five minutes and you can figure out that, um, you know, figure out my background, figure sure. out I'm a big sports fanatic. Um, so I'm a big Detroit Lions fan, even though that doesn't bode well for me ever, <laughs> um, especially this season. You're a martyr. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. It is uh, being a Lions fan has uh, prepared me for all of life's disappointments. Um, so, you know, do your research and, and do, do something that's relevant to that person. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, there was a company, I forget the name of it. It was a couple years ago. They were doing these huge posters, um, comic books, and it was you starting in your own, starring in your own comic. And for marketing, it's easy, right? It's like, you know, the battle between sales and marketing, Yeah. you know, so like at first, like, you know, you kind of are like fighting and at the end we're on the golf course playing golf together, but it was (laughs) me, right? I mean, somebody had drawn, taken my LinkedIn profile picture and drawn a caricature a cartoon of me. And it was the most amazing. I had it up in my wall. I called the guy immediately. I'm like, I want to go do this for CFOs. Um, and you know, that cut completely cut through the clutter because I had never seen anything like that before. And it was something that was relevant to me and it was about me. Right. Um, and I think if you can do that, I think that that makes it a lot more endearing mm-hmm. and it cuts through the clutter versus you know, I have marketing vendors send me bottles of wine all the time and, you know, they're etched with their logo and they're just like, you know, okay, that's nice, but everybody's doing that. Um, so come up with something, you know, innovative and unique and different, kind of like we did the food trucks at Domo. Yeah. Um, so we are marketers and we're supposed to be creative. So this right. is where, <laughs> this is where the creativity comes in and, and uh, give yourself some time to be creative uh, because it, it pans out in the end. Yeah, it makes sense to set aside some creativity time. And it's also a good reminder that, you know, like the, let me buy you dinner. Let me, here's, here's a bottle of wine. I'm not saying no to wine. Um, I took an appointment with Zoom because they offered me coffee. And right. I was like, okay, I could refill my, my coffee stash. That's good. And a tumbler. I already have like a thousand tumblers. Don't send tumblers. I have like, tumblers. I'm giving them away. Like I, I need to donate them all to, yeah. because there's just so many of them. Um, right. But coffee, I was like, okay, but, but yeah, some of those things are tired and you can't do that individual research. You know, you can't listen to the hardcore marketing show part two, where 
people you learn about people's lives for every single 4,000 target account. But if you have 25, like you were saying, right now it's more reasonable or a smaller company. Like we've and got you five, have 10, you know? and you have 10 sales reps, right? Yes, like 10 sales reps. Do, they need to do some of this too, right? And I think that's where like you know, platforms like Sendoso and PFL and um, Alice like start to become uh, more relevant when you talk about a sales first um, ABM strategy, right? Like yeah. put the power in their hands to go send things, send things that are relevant, right? Based on their conversations, because they're having the conversations. Uh, marketing isn't. Um, so, you know, you have to partner with sales to make this successful or else it's, you know, it's going to be like every other inbound campaign you've ever done. Yeah. It, it's funny, Mitch. I, I did talk to you, uh, Greg from Alice. I don't know if you, you know him. Mm-hmm. He's just, I don't know him. Yeah. He's Greg Seagal. I don't know if he, I never asked him if he was related to Steven Seagal, but I should have. <laughs> you should. I should right, have. Well, I'll, like call fail. I'll call I him and I'll like ask him. Call him right after this. Um, but yeah, he was saying you need to know people's. Uh, not just their nine to five, but their five to nine. Like, who are yeah. they outside of work? Um, and I'm glad you br- you mentioned you know using platforms like that because my question is, what does what is sales's role? What is their responsibility in an ABM? Because I've cer- seen certain situations where they're not doing anything yet. Maybe it's just because right. it's still in marketing's hands. Or when is when is are you when are you looking at sales saying like, okay, your turn, guys, tag your it. Now it's your turn to do something here. Well, it's their turn from the beginning, right? Is like it? I Tell said. me about that. You said sales first, right? Yeah. Sales first, right? I mean, so one thing that I've implemented um, almost everywhere I've been, we're going to implement it at Fortress IQ, is this idea of a, um, a plan on a page, right? And every year, um, you know, think of your sales kickoff. Marketing's responsibility is to have a marketing plan for each individual sales rep. And it doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't need to be a big old marketing plan. Um, but what I've found is if you can give them a piece of paper or a Google doc and say, okay, here are all the marketing things that are going to happen, right? Just from the top, we're mm-hmm. doing these big trade shows. We're going to launch these campaigns. These are the themes. This is kind of the big stuff that marketing is going to go handle. These are the accounts that we've, you and I, sales, Mr. or Mrs. Salesperson have decided we're going to go after, and here's how we're going to go attack them. And, you know, it could be, you know, a a series of emails, it could be a webinar, it could be like, kind of just pick and choose what are the things that you're going to put together to get in front of that, in front of that account. And then it's a combined effort. And when you start talking about doing a direct mail piece, it's easy. If you say, hey, we're going to go do a new direct mail campaign, this is what it is. Sales can be like, oh yeah, those are perfect. Just opt in my five accounts that I want to, you know. That, that are on my list for the year. Um, and then you have conversations and figure out like, is it working? Is it not working? Maybe those five aren't the right accounts. Take them off and let's put some other ones in there. So I think it's, it's sales first in the sense of, we can do all the research, we can help you pick the accounts, but they have to decide. And they're putting their name on the line and saying, I'm gonna try and get into these accounts this quarter. Um, and have them sign it, right? Every plan on a page is signed by the sales rep. It's signed by the marketing um, representative or, or me. Uh, and that's what we're committed to. And then when I present in a QBR or a field marketing manager presents in a QBR, that's what they present about. How much penetration did we get into the accounts we said we were going to go into together? Um, and that kind of gets everybody on the same page. Um, and everything else that happens in the background is just gravy. Mm. I can see that working. And I love that you're aligning your, not only you're aligning, but you're getting it on paper. Like 
This is we're both agreeing. It's almost like <laughs> SLA. We're agreeing to this. Yeah. I mean, no offense to salespeople, they have ADD. Um, and I've learned that early in my career, you've got to say something at least four or five times, but the minute you put it on a piece of paper, um, and you know, back in the day before Google docs, we said, if you laminated it, it was official. Mm. Um, it's the same process, right? Like if it's in a Google doc and we've both signed it and you looked at it, um, you know, this is what we're doing. And if we stray from that, then, you know, that's that's either on you or (laughs) it's on somebody. Yeah, it's on somebody. But you yeah. know, at the end of the day, marketing is there to support the sales organization to hit the number um, when it comes to the demand generation side of the house. Yeah. Uh, so you know, we're in it together. And if we're not, then we can't win. Right. And, and, to your, and I want to bring it back because I feel like I got a really good picture now of ABM. To, back to your very original point, this is fun to talk about, but this is not your overall demand gen strategy. It, no. What, is it a fraction of it? What? what, what percent would you say this is or should be? I mean, I think it's probably, you know, 25 to 30% of your, of your demand gen strategy. I mean, you know, one of the other things that I've started to do is separate my my metrics. Right. And there's a lot of things that I'm doing, especially at a young startup around brand. And a lot of the money I'm putting into brand campaigns are about impressions and about getting our name out there. They're not necessarily going to convert and they might actually screw up my, my CPL, uh, because right. I'm trying things and, you know, I'm not going to get a, an actual conversion out of the thing, but I'm actually trying to get people to notice who we are and through retargeting and everything else, we can eventually get them into the funnel, but okay. separating those two things out and having metrics around brand and casting a wider net, but then also having, um, a strategy around, you know, like I said, the hand to hand combat. And how are we going to get into those accounts versus sitting around and waiting for marketing uh, to procure a lead and get it to an MQL and then pass it over and have an SDR follow up. And, you know, that's just all that stuff just takes a ton of time. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to have both, right? You have to have the balance. And then I think, you know, the inbound is probably 40 or 50% and the brand stuff um, of of what you should be doing, because that's just building an engine and, and fueling that engine. Um, and ABMs where you get to have some fun, right? You get to yeah. do new stuff and, you know, you get to maybe spend a little bit more than you would normally do on a program. Um, so that's how I like to think of it. It's definitely a mix. I, I definitely see that being the case. And anyone that puts too much in, you know, any one of those areas is like stock investing, right? You're not supposed to just put all your stock in Tesla, even though it seemed like a really good idea. Um, <laughs> it's like, you gotta, you gotta spread it out. You know, you do. And, and I've seen so many organizations just swing the pendulum yeah. um, uh-huh. from one side to the next. And, you know, I, I always call it whiplash. And, you know, that is, is not effective um, because you end up paying for it in the long run. Don't swing the pendulum. You get the whiplash out of that effect. You know, tech, how, how do, what's yeah. your view on tech? How does it fit into this? Um, You've got this diversified, you're, you're getting leads from different places, accounts, all these things are happening. And then there's that tech, that shiny new tech. What, yep. How do you stay sane? How do you keep your soul with all, with like, what was it like? There's now of marketing, yeah. whatever yeah. Martech yeah. says it is now. No, I, know. I don't think it even fits on one page anymore. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, but so I have a, I have a sign in my office that I've had for a very long time and it, it says, keep it simple. Mm. And it's a very good reminder, um, especially on the tech front <laughs> to just keep it simple. 
Um, I walked into host analytics and we had something like 40 pieces of technology and half of them were not implemented correctly or connected. And it was one of those like, you know, oh, wow, kid in a candy store. Like I, you know, I've never had money to buy all this stuff and it's so great and blah, 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 blah. And then you start to kind of peel the onion on it. And you're like, I don't, this thing's not even connected. Like, do I even need this? Why am I spending $150,000 a year on this thing? And so I walking into Fortress IQ, I had the reverse, right? We're such a young company. And I said, well, what's our tech stack? And we had HubSpot. Right. (laughs) Okay. What else? Oh, crickets okay. right <laughs> and at first i was horrified right i'm like oh my god and then i was like actually this is amazing right i don't have to undo anything i don't True. have to and i can take my time in building up the right tech stack for what the company needs today um and you know you start to then quickly realize what you can survive on without all those bells and whistles um, and I think it was Gartner last year put out a survey or um, a report that said um, most marketers say that 58% of their tech stack is sitting there unused. Wow. So that's over half of the tech stack. I mean, and I saw it when I walked into host and um, it, it's, it, it kills me because I was a marketing vendor, right? I worked at Marketo and I, the power and the beauty of having a marketing automation tool. And I, I fell, you know, in love with Marketo early on. And um, it's easy to fall in love with technology and it's oh, easy yeah. to say, oh, this is so cool. And, oh, we could go do this or, um, and it, you can buy stuff, right? Because marketers now know how to buy technology and the CFO understands that marketing has to buy technology. Uh, but I think we can overdo it. And my big myth, because you asked uh, to, to dispel another myth is um, you don't need all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that stuff isn't going to fix your fill in the blank problem, right? Buying another piece of technology is not going to fix your pipeline problem. Um, you know, buying a piece of technology isn't going to automatically do ABM for you. Uh, there's a lot of strategy and a lot of thinking that needs to happen. And then when it's right, go find the technology that's best suited. Um, you know, everyone's asking me, you know, the minute I joined a company, right. I've got a hundred vendors in my inbox. God, I can't imagine. Hey, remember me from so-and-so and, um, and everyone's (laughs) like, what are you using for ABM? And I'm like, nothing. And they're like, oh, cool. Like, and I'm like, I'm not ready for ABM. (laughs) I will be ready for ABM, uh, maybe come January and planning for 2021. But right now I gotta, you know, I got some other stuff that I need to go focus on. So take your time with tech, understand it and buy it because it fits into your strategy. Um, but you've got to understand what your strategy is to begin with. Boom. And that's like the mic survive. drop. You can just. Yeah. Mic drop mic. Drop. yeah. Um, but you can survive on five to six pieces of technology. Totally. Totally. Um, I wonder what those are. And I'll throw that question out to you and then I'll say um, one quick thing to d- delay and give you a chance to think about it. Um, I saw someone post on LinkedIn probably like three months ago. Here's my tech stack. Um, am I missing anything? And there was like 24 things in the list that you actually had to hit more on LinkedIn. <laughs> and then I was like, Just scroll down. yeah, like, no, <laughs> I don't think you need more friend. I think probably you could do more with less. Yeah. Wow. It yeah. just kept going. It, it was almost like a badge of like, look at us. And it's like, no, right. not really. You could spend that getting 
much more business. Um, so what do you think? What are, what are, is there some bare minimums these days, 2020? Are there some certain tech pieces you just like, you look to first, maybe we'll say when you get to yeah. a, a new company? Yeah, I mean, obviously um, a marketing automation system, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you gotta have a CRM, you gotta have a marketing automation system. You've gotta have a data, um, a data strategy. And when you start to have the data strategy, you can figure out, you know, if it's data pending, is it, do you need to serve it up to the sales team, right? There's so many things around data and, you know, we haven't even talked about intent or any of the other stuff that's out yeah. there, but just core basic data, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you walk into a place and, and you've got 10,000 contacts in your database and you've got to grow it to 200,000 by, you know, in two years, how are you going to go do that? Um, right. You know, and it's not buying lists, uh, but it's doing things like data pens and Mm -hmm. doing all that on the back end on your forms. And so that is a, a, a for sure next step after you have your marketing automation system. And then some of the things that come with that, right? The, the deduplication, the lead routing, the, um, you know, kind of just the basics of handing off a good, clean lead from marketing to sales. Um, you know, that, that needs to be in place if you're going to do an ABM strategy, I think that should be one of the things that you need, right? You need a ABM. Um, I was just on the phone with a forester analyst the other day, you know, kind of this idea of orchestration, um, mm. this ABM orchestration uh, platform. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in this space um, as they start to come down into the marketing automation platforms, you know, and if those two are going to collide or what's actually going to happen uh, that, with inbound yeah. and outbound. That, that's a good point. Because <laughs> they're two separate systems right now. Yeah. Um, and the integrations obviously work really well, but um, uh, my money is on somebody coming out with this kind of Uber platform for both, which would be pretty interesting. Um, you think you just start so acquiring like Salesforce acquires Terminus and Marketo mm -hmm. acquires somebody. Somebody or... <laughs> Six cents, you know, Six cents, uh, yeah. acquires somebody or built or you know or, base. or builds the technology. We already saw demand base by Engageo, right? Uh, so I do think there's there's definitely some uh, acquisitions in the near future, mm -hmm. um, and it's going to change how we look at our tech stacks um, because they're going to be things that we just need in the system that we're using day to day. I mean, I became a marketer to be a marketer. I didn't become a, a marketer to be an IT specialist and figuring <laughs> out how 24 pieces of technology fit together. Um, so I think it's going to have to become a heck of a lot easier for marketers uh, to, to do their day jobs and get the data that they need in the analytics. Yeah. I think the other piece um, of technology that we probably need as marketers is they're on the reporting front. Um, now, we Marketo about visible, <laughs> right? So you saw that, all those acquisitions, but you know the reporting today still is a little bit hodgepodge. Um, and if you don't have a really fantastic marketing ops person, it can be a little overwhelming. So you know, some, some way to report, whether it be um, visualization or BI, like a looker or domo to be able to kind of tell that full end to end story, um, I think is another important piece. Yeah. I think that kind of simplifies all the different tech stacks and the crazy add-ons. And then you can, if you, it's like, it's like fully use these things or get them really close, get them 80%. Yep. Then look at whatever else you're going to add on, not going on a shopping spree because you went to Dreamforce and I want to buy everything in sight, you know? <laughs> exactly. Somebody took you to a nice dinner uh, yeah. and you have to buy their software. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it, look at uh, you just even marketing automation, the amount of people that still use marketing automation for batch and blast. Yeah. Right. That a don't lot. have nurture, a sophisticated nurtures. Um, you know, they aren't really using scoring the way that they're supposed to. Um, you know, I think there's a lot even in the marketing automation platforms that marketers aren't tapping into. Yeah, we do our little assessment. We have the CSI uh, part out assessment, marketing automation assessment, and the average score out of 10 is three. Wow. Um, and it's not even a bell curve. It's like lots of zeros, usually HubSpot users. <laughs> Shots fired. Um, and then <laughs> there's uh, ones and twos. Yeah. A lot of threes and then it drops off like a cliff and then there's barely any fours on up. Um, when people, fascinating. When we first meet them. Cause yeah. And you're like, man, this thing's, these things are pricey. Market automation yeah. is an investment. So, and there's power that, to be gained from it. Maybe you should use that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Get that figured out first yeah. and, then, and then figure out what you're missing. Right. Right. Um, because there, you can do a lot of stuff with what you probably already have in house. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets into the whole idea around, I mean, the pros and cons, like just because a feature exists doesn't mean you should use it. Um, or maybe you should. And I, I wonder, cause I mean, this ties into like product marketing and getting the information out is what's your take on product marketing? I mean, Double-edged sword. Do you need it? Do you use it? Who do you hire yeah. to do that? Do you need a yeah. specialist? Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up, my entire career has been demand gen, fill marketing focused, right? I've never yeah. been a product marketer, nor do I ever claim that I've Same been here. one. Yeah. Um, and I've worked with fantastic product marketers um, and I have seen really good product marketing and I've seen oh. really bad product marketing. Um, and it is something that is an art, uh, I think. And, you know, it's less on the science side, a lot more on the art side. Sure. And trying to find a product marketer that is a perfect fit for your organization is really hard to go do. Um, so when we were at, at, at Host Analytics, you know, we had that problem, like trying to find somebody who understood how to sell to finance, right? How to talk to finance mm -hmm. um, and somebody who also was able to, you know, demo a product, understand it technically, understand the back end of it, and then turn that into a very well-crafted marketing. I mean, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. Um, and so we struggled to find somebody that fit that perfect profile. And what we ended up doing is finding somebody on, that was on the implementation team that had a finance background. He was a CPA and we turned him into a product marketer. Um, <laughs> and he was fantastic because he understood the product. He could demo it. He could work with product management. He knew what those people wanted and, and how, to, how to talk to them. Um, so I think for product marketing, you don't always have to find, you know, the perfect product marketer, uh, who's gone through, you know, pragmatic marketing and all that mm -hmm. other stuff. Um, I think those things are, um, it's great if you can find them, but they're just really, really, really hard to find. Uh, so, you know, find somebody that's just, you know, got maybe a little bit of a, of a leaning towards marketing and, and can write well and, and can describe things really well, but that truly understands the product. Yeah. Understands the product and, and, and the, has talked to customers, has seen this yeah. in action. It's not theoretical, you know? Um, I, I mean, I, I remember I, when I started my career, most product marketers like went on customer calls. Yeah. Like salespeople took them on customer calls because they were the experts. Right. And I don't think people do that anymore. 
I yeah, don't think that's, that's like an SE now and they do demos. I don't yeah. know what happened with that. That's you're right. That's kind of weird. Yeah, it's it's really weird. So um, I do think, you know, I believe in product marketing and I think we need it, um, you know, but maybe don't maybe think a little bit outside of the box when you're hiring somebody uh, that may not be the perfect fit. Right. It's cool, though. You don't necessarily need the, the textbook person. You found it from within and from a, a division that really had everything. I mean, to talk finance and to be a CPA, like, that's great. You that's got hard it. to we, teach. We, yeah. That's hard to teach. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. No, you, you really like, what are you going to, how are you going to, especially if they don't want to learn that. Oh yeah. Yeah. We need you to take the, take the CPS, uh, C, CPA certification. CPA course. Yeah, exactly. No, like, that's uh, not yeah. Happen. I'm going to go get a job at a startup now. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. We're not doing this. It's a yeah. food startup too. Like I'm just going to go over here. <laughs> <laughs> Rethinking all my life's choices. Yeah, Seriously. no, I mean, it is in, in most of what we learn as marketers, I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, I graduated a long time ago, but I didn't, I learned the basics and I learned the strategy and I learned how to think and, you know, the four P's of marketing, now the five P's. Mm. Um, but when you talk about, you know, actual tactical day-to-day -day stuff that you need to go do, this is all I've learned. I learned marketing automation on my own. I learned about tech on my own. I learned how to do reporting and attribution on my own. Um, I didn't go to a class for any of that. So I do think yeah. there's, there's a lot to be said about hands-on uh, job experience. Oh, for sure. I mean, that, totally. That, so, I mean, you got me curious. Who are you? Christelle <laughs> from Belgium, like with a cool last name. Like, who are you? Take us back in time. Um, sure. Where did you grow up? What did you do? Did you always know you're going to be in marketing like this? And what's the story? Um, so fun story. So yeah, I was born in Belgium. Um, my parents moved to the United States when I was about nine months old. So I do speak fluent French. Um, most of my family still lives in Belgium. Um, wow. my cousins, aunts, uncles. So I try and go back once a year to see everybody. Although, you know, with COVID can't kind of can't right now. I know. Um, but I spent four years in Scotland. Uh, so I did go, I spent a few years in uh, grade school in Scotland. So I actually had a Scottish accent for a while, which my dad actually has on tape, which is kind of funny. I was going to say, um, do you want to, do you want to say it now? Put yourself no, I'm on good. Thanks. Tape. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> how, how old were you? So you were like in, in grade school kind of thing? Yeah. So I actually spent, um, t went to Scotland twice. So once it was like kindergarten age and then went back when I was in fifth and sixth grade. Wow. Your parents um, like spies or what's the deal? No, no. My dad was a manufacturing and he Got would uh, open plants and, and stuff. So, um, so we did that. And then I grew up in Michigan. Uh, so this is where my love of the Detroit lions comes from. Uh, grew up in Michigan. I went to grade school there, high, high school there. And then I actually wanted to be a biomedical engineer. I had gotcha. this passion around wanting to help little kids and especially, um, you know, little kids that needed prosthetics uh, to, to help them live almost normal lives. And so Marquette, uh, in Milwaukee was one of, I think 17 or 18 schools that actually had it as an undergrad program. Oh, wow. So I went to Marquette, um, did went through all the engineering courses for my first two years. And then one day just decided I didn't want to do that anymore. Wow. Like I just love math. Were you doing like chips and like design or systems and like no, it was mechanical or? so i think it was the class that broke me i think was statics and fluid dynamics oh god where it literally like calculus and physics applied to how your um how the blood flows through the heart 
I don't know. And I was like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm not cut out for this. Like formulas of li- liquid formulas. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I think what it did teach me is um, how to think like an engineer mm-hmm. um, and how to be on the, the science side of marketing. And uh, I'm really good with numbers. I, you know, I have a minor in mathematics. Um, so for me, it wasn't a lost cause, right? I took that and I took the, the math, all the math that I had taken and then ended up getting a marketing degree in, in two years, uh, which was pretty hard, but it was a lot of fun. It was a hell of a lot easier than engineering. Um, so like so, a four-year degree in two years? Like that's pretty years. impressive. Yeah. 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 Um, took a lot of classes, but it was a lot of fun and I loved it. And it wasn't a lot of hard, it wasn't hard work for me. Um, because it was easy and I understood it and, uh, I really enjoyed all my classes and all the projects that I got to do. So it's, I've, you know, I found what I wanted to go do. Yeah. And then I moved to California for about a year and I started, um, after I graduated, uh, I was in sales. Huh. Yeah. So I was actually a, a sales assistant and, you know, before they had SDRs. Uh, for one of the yeah. one of the sales reps and did the cold calling and everything else that goes. So you with know, it. you've been there, you've done it. I, you know, b- back when like it was a phone book. Yeah, right? like there was not a lot on the internet. There's no um, di- speed dialer either. You're, no you're mashing buttons dial. on a phone. Yep, you had to check your voicemail every morning because you didn't know if anybody had called you back. So, um, so yeah, it was it was one of those other learning moments where I was like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Um, so I ended up when I was at Marquette had met a professor at the university of Memphis in the sports marketing department. Um, and so I applied to go do my graduate work in sports marketing, Oh wow. uh, okay. in Memphis of all places. Uh, and did that for a couple of years. I worked for FedEx, which was, uh, a wow. life altering experience just working at what's that about- like? I mean, there's not a lot in Memphis, right? So like oh, right. FedEx kind of runs the, runs the city. Um, and I was in the sports marketing department and I got to work on stuff like um, the FedEx Orange Bowl. I got oh, wow. to do the FedEx St. Um, St. Jude Golf Classic, uh, the Southern Heritage Bowl, the Liberty Bowl. Um, and, you know, it was just, I got to do a lot of the cart races back when Indian cart split up. Uh, hockey, we sponsored the NHL. So it was a tremendous experience in learning about brand yeah, and how strong that brand was and take translating that brand into sports sponsorships and, you know, what we would sponsor and what we wouldn't sponsor. Uh, so to me, I learned so much. I got to build a, uh, a suite at the FedEx stadium uh, in Memphis, the Redbird stadium. So I get to put a hard hat on and like help design the suite. Um, like so you designed was, it even from scratch, like you sponsored it, it's your suite. And then you're going to make it your own colors and what artwork, like which plane, you know, pictures of the planes we we're going to put up there wow. and then handled, all, handled all the ticketing that went with it. So, um, you know, definitely learned a lot and wanted to stay in sports marketing. Um, and then I moved out to California and I was, you know, it was really hard to find a job in sports marketing mm. as somebody fresh out of college. So I ended up starting, um, as a marketing coordinator at an environmental company, environmental okay. consulting company, and did that for about four four years, um, and then you know the tech bubble kind of burst, 
And I was like, well, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. And back when Monster was still a thing, I had my resume <laughs> up on Monster. Yeah, <laughs> and Arima reached out to me and they were looking for a film marketing manager, which I had nothing, I had no experience, um, didn't know what that even meant. And uh, they took a, a chance on me and I started working at Ariba and spent five years there and went from field marketing manager on the West Coast to managing the whole team and then uh, bringing in marketing automation and demand generation and helping start up the SDR team there uh, right when the whole Ariba turnaround was starting to happen. So yeah. uh, I learned a lot from my career there. Um, I helped implement salesforce.com. Um, you know, it was, yeah. uh, it was a ton of fun. So and then from there, I just kind of continued my, um, you know, my career in tech and went to Taleo uh, after that and built out a field marketing organization there. And then after Taleo, I went to Marketo uh, right when it was nice. uh, in its early years. So that was an, uh, a fun experience and talk about meeting so many great marketers that have come out of Marketo and uh, being part of that, that team. And I was brought in because they were all inbound. I was brought in to do outbound. Nice. Because of my enterprise film marketing experience. So, you know, worked with John Miller on, yep. you know, the concept of an account score, which now is like everybody has an account score. Why wouldn't you um, have one? Yeah, <laughs> Why totally. wouldn't you have one? But back then we, there was no need for account scores. Um, so it was uh, definitely um, one of those experiences I'll never, I'll never forget. And then left Marketo, went to Jive. Okay. Again, another piece of amazing technology um, right after their IPO and built up demand gen and marketing ops there and field marketing globally. Uh, and then after that, where did I go? Oh, I went to MapR Map and yeah. went to like the Hadoop space, which um, I mean, I did two years of engineering, but, you know, try hanging out with a bunch of data scientists. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> data scientists and understanding like hive and drill and apache and kafka and kubernetes and all this other stuff so um i learned a lot there was that your nerdiest company that other than this one yeah that's been the nerdiest company fortress is a little nerdy but it, it's got a cool name so it's got a cool name um it's cool technology um it is nerdy although we don't sell to it we actually sell to the business side Oh, um, nice. so, which is nice. really cool, but the yeah. technology is super nerdy. I mean, if you're a Star Trek fan, um, or sci-fi fan, like this technology is for you. It's, it's fascinating what we're able to do. So, um, I'm excited to be at Fortress IQ and kind of lead the marketing charge and, uh, see where this whole industry is going to go. Cause there's a lot happening. Yeah. And the, the idea of AI and using that to really figure out data, at a level which humans are like just trying to scratch the surface of is who knows where it goes, you know, right. There's, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. I mean, we were all brought up to be afraid of AI, right. You know, right. Like the, the computers are going to take over. Um, well, right? Hollywood hasn't helped with that. Right. No, it is. It's kind of this, great examples. <laughs> yeah. Terminator, um, uh, war games back in the eighties. Have you seen that uh, Ex Trek. Machina, that one? Yes, that that one actually creeped me out. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that one creeped me out. But um, I think with uh, with technology today, the beauty of AI and what we're trying to do is that we're not trying to replace the human. We're trying to make 
a human's job more efficient so they can then go spend time on more strategic things um, and the ability to use automation to um, streamline processes throughout your entire organization uh, without even having to do any sort of implementation or integration. Um, that's fascinating yeah, to me. That like is. if I could, you know, one day just be like, God, this whole, you know, switching in and out of Pardot and Excel and this and that, like, could I just streamline this whole thing? Yeah. Um, and for me as a, uh, a business user to be able to go do that, um, that's fascinating to me. So I think there's a lot more to come in this industry and uh, I'm excited to be at, at Fortress IQ because I think we're going to lead it. Yeah, I, that everything points to that. That's what I'm seeing over here too. Um, question, now that we're looking, we talked about the future, mm -hmm. a hypothetical question. I might actually have a time machine here in New Hampshire. I'll let you use it after COVID. Cool. Um, you get to go back in time, and it, but it takes you back to a certain time. You just graduated your undergrad um, and you're off to the races. At, at least you're not, not in engineering anymore, but you're marketing. Yeah. You're, what what yeah. should I do? Um, if you could talk to that version of you, what kind of advice would you give her? What kind of things would you tell her? Um, that's a tough question, but I think for me, um, you know, especially as I have a 16 year old who's going, you know, starting to apply to colleges yeah. and you know, she's going to start on the, on this part of her journey. Um, I think when you're that young, um, you know, you have this desire to be right all the time. Like I have to be right. Like I can't, you know, this, this concept of failure, you know, it's like, it's, it's all or nothing. Um, and I think I would go back to, to my 18, you know, or 21 year old self and say, you don't always have to be right. Mm -hmm. Um, but you have to try mm -hmm. and it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be wrong. Um, and you know, learn from your mistakes and just don't do them again. Right. And, yeah. and that's how you learn and you grow. And I think you do learn the most from your biggest failures. Um, and that's when you really grow and it's okay. And you have to go through that. Um, Cause if you, you know, if you walk around wanting, like, I'm not turning this in until it's a hundred percent right and perfect. Yeah. Um, that a takes time. It's stressful. Yeah. Um, and what are you really learning uh, in that process? So I think that's what I would tell myself is it's okay. You can be wrong. Just learn from it and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Just now, would you listen to yourself? Probably not. <laughs> That's always the question. Like, I don't know if I listen. Like, I'd be smacking myself around. Come on, Casey, you got this. <laughs> um, okay. It's true, though. It's true. Um, the whole idea of like, you know, a good plan now is better than the perfect plan like five years from now when it's a totally different industry altogether, anyways. And um, I've definitely I've felt that that need for perfection with writing sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes it'll keep me from doing more like writing and blog writing because I can make it really good. But the better and better I make it, the longer and longer it takes it me takes. to do it. And then eventually you're like the Game of Thrones guy. HBO is all done with you. You still haven't finished the books. Dude, let's go. Dude, let's finish. Yeah. No, I know. I, I totally agree. And, yeah. you know you know, trying to get the perfect ad copy written, you know, which takes a really long time, right? It's, it's yeah. easier to write something super long than try and, you know, cram perfect ad copy into a small little space. And um, that's what I try and tell my team. Like it's, as long as there's no spelling mistakes, you know, but just go fast, look at the results, A-B test the heck out of everything yeah. and whatever wins, keep doing that. And, and, you know, and then we can change it up. But 
um, I'd rather get stuff out the door and uh, with no spelling mistakes, but get stuff out the door. Yeah, we got to have some standards here, people. (laughs) Then, you know, kind of just sit around and wait for um, for the perfect ad to, to, to happen. So yeah, totally agree with you. If your grammar is a little off, but at least you're not, you know, some blatant, like misspell in there, like no yeah. one proofread it, then I'm good. Like exactly. I always catch those newspapers and I'm not even that guy. I'm not even an editor, but for some reason, my eyes like, look at that thing. And I was like, ah, yeah. Like the, uh, there T H E I R instead of T H E R E right. Or it's without the apostrophe. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's so much, um, but you know, as, as long as you catch those mistakes, um, even after it's published, I mean, it's true. It's Live at it, get it out of there. Yeah. yeah. You know, in speaking of that, the, I shifted to doing more podcasts. It was about two and a half years ago when it was like, I got to write a bunch of stuff, like get over the perfection mindset when, but also like, maybe you don't know everything. So getting over the fact that you need to know everything and it has to be perfect. Let's go talk to other people. And that's where like, even the podcast came. I wonder though, if there's something around the live, you know? Yeah. Um, and I know we're both big fans of like live music and some, and there's, there's something about that. You, you're not always perfect doing live music. It won't sound like the CD, right? but I will pay money to go do that when Spotify gives it to me for like 15 bucks, you know? Right. Yeah. It's the experience. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, um, I mean, especially now, right. With us, everyone being at home and, um, I, I, I get really sad knowing that I can't go see live music. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I don't go see live music because I want to go see a perfect show. I go see live music because I actually do want to see that these people are human yes. and that they can make mistakes. And, you know, they have an incredible voice. But, you know, I mean, I remember seeing the Foo Fighters. Um, I'm a big Dave Grohl fan at, um, I forget where, I think it was Bottle Rock. And okay. not Dreamforce because it wasn't Dreamforce. I've seen him at Dreamforce, but it wasn't at Dreamforce. Okay, I was at that one too. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good show. Um, but this was at Bottle Rock a couple years ago, and it, he like messed up a song like twice when he was starring it off. And like he just was like, he stopped the whole band. He's like, come on, look, we gotta do that over again. <laughs> and I think <laughs> I think those those are the endearing moments. Yeah. Like, those are the moments where you can connect with them and be like, oh my God, like this person that I idolize isn't perfect. Like, I mean, he's fallen off the stage. I mean, remember when he continued the concert after breaking his ankle or leg, I can't remember. Then he came Um, back and he still played. He still played. So to me, that's, you know, that's why we go see these things. Um, And I think that's how you connect to humans, right? Mm -hmm. Is you, we're all flawed some way. (laughs) Right. Um, And it's okay that we're flawed. Uh, And uh, because it makes it, it just makes it a lot more real. Yeah, you're so right about the um, the perfection. I I like hearing the the conversation in between too. Yes. You know, and I'm sure Dave had some choice words when he messed up that song a couple of times. He did. <laughs> she sure, sure was did. like, he's like swearing at himself or something. But um, yeah, that's what you know. Or, or they comment on stuff, and that's why the crowd goes wild when they're like, "Hey, Boston. Hey, San Francisco, or whatever." Cause you're like, whoa, you couldn't have recorded that. Well, you couldn't, right. but like, right. now we know you're not lip syncing. You're aware. <laughs> yeah, you're. Yeah, you're aware. <laughs> you yeah. know where you're at. Yeah. It just makes it more real. What What's the balance though? Because we just we just harped on you can't have spelling errors. We want to see some kind of not perfect, but also not unprofessional. Is there is yeah. there something there? How do you draw the line? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, well, we did, we did our, our style guide at, at host and we talked a lot about just tone and um, who we are as the company, because it is part of, it, obviously it's part of your brand, but even something as simple as like, it's okay to use contractions, right? Mm. Like professionally, when you write, you're not supposed to use contractions, right? Really? But, you know, you can, you can. Good to know. <laughs> right, right. Like it's okay to, you know, to say, you know, instead of we are, we're, right? Like it's, those things are fine. Um, it, it depends on your brand. Like, should IBM do that? No, probably not, right? They're known for being super professional. Right. Um, but, you know, if, if the tone of your company is to be a little bit more casual, then, then that's fine. I mean, don't use swear words and, you know, don't use profanity, uh, you know, make crass jokes. Like you can be witty. You don't need to be cheesy. Yeah. Um, you know, there is a balance there. And I think when you achieve that balance, I think that's what makes it really smart marketing mm -hmm. um, because it is, it is funny and it's relatable, uh, but it also maybe makes you think of a particular problem a different way. Like, yeah. oh, you know, they actually have an interesting angle on it and they're approachable and I do want to talk to them. So I think that finding that balance is going to be different for everybody. Um, but I, t I tend to err on the side of, we can be, we can be a little bit more casual. Yeah. It, it's finding that common voice. And I guess that's the hard part is, is there's a brand voice, but you have like anywhere from one to 30 people all trying to convey that. Um, and hopefully they've done a great job of hiring and everyone kind of feels it anyways. Otherwise the. I mean, the whole point is to be authentic, right? And and it's almost yep. like people can sniff that out. Like, weird, you're being formal and it doesn't seem like you showed or you're not being formal. Yeah. It's like it's like the IBM are trying to be casual and you're like, it's not. It's not working. It's not working. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you want to hang 10 with me and get a drink? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? No, no. Be real. Yeah, that's even more awkward. It yeah, it just, it just has to fit, right? Like, I used mm -hmm. to do a lot of speaking engagements and, um, you know, I, I'm known to like walk on stage with a cup of coffee in my hand, right. Or True. I'm super casual or I'll wear jeans and a jacket or, you know, like it's, it's your own personal brand too. Um, mm -hmm. and, and how you kind of portray yourself. And that's just me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was featured in the medium authority magazine yeah. and I've had a lot of people comment on it and they're like, I was just, it was so you. And I was like, yeah, because I didn't sit there and like overthink my answers and try and find this like perfect, you know, thing yeah. that nobody else has said that everyone's going to think is super cool. Um, you know, I just, A, I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> B, you know, I'm, you know, I'm at an age now where this is me, right? This yeah. is what you get. So, Take it or leave it kind of thing. Yeah. You know, and that's okay. And, and I love what you said about be, be authentic. And, and mm -hmm. I think every brand and every person should be their authentic self. Yeah. In in the end, we really like each other when we're being ourselves. Kind of funny. Yeah. But we all think that we won't. Like, we all think the other person won't like us when we're being ourselves. But actually, we only, we don't like you when you're not being yourself. Just right. be totally. yourself. Yeah. It's, totally. it's like a weird trick. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree. So first show you're going to try to see, let's say Ugh. all the bands are all on sale everywhere. So what band and then what location? And I'll think of my answer too. So Pearl Jam. Interesting. Cool. Huge Pearl Jam fan. I was actually supposed to see them. I had tickets for like six shows this summer, both here it, in the U.S. Six, tickets to yeah. six shows? Mm-hmm. All, yep. 
all in different areas. Yeah. So in oh, the U S I am a fan. Yeah. And I had tickets um, to see them at Hyde park uh, mm. in London. And wow. I think, um, and they are going to be in Hyde park next year, supposedly in London and uh, tickets actually I think are on sale now or are going on sale. Um, so that would probably be my first, first concert. Um, but I think if somewhere local, so I live in, you know, Northern California, beautiful area. And yeah. we have this venue called the mountain winery up in Saratoga and cool. it's up in the, in the mountains and it's this gorgeous venue. It doesn't seat very many people, but I've seen some amazing, uh, performers there. And, uh, that would be my go-to, like, I don't care who's playing, um, yeah, I will, I will go to that first show. We've got one like that in New Hampshire here where it's, it's North and, and you think, why would anyone come here? But I, I saw Dave Matthews there. I've seen other yeah. people there. Um, um, yeah, a lot of different like Goo Goo Dolls and just all sorts of different interesting groups that are there. But the, to your point, the venue is like where you got all these like little shops and it's like rolling hills and green and yeah. good use of outdoor. It's like outdoor. Yeah. Um, and I, I would go there over, you know, the Boston garden or anywhere downtown any day Yep, for Same. sure. And parking lot, you know, you can actually hang out in the parking lot as opposed to some parking garage in some big city. Yeah. 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 This place is cool. Cause it's an actual winery. So you can like That's even tailgate, you can tailgate in the, uh, in the, uh, parking lot with, with bottles of wine. So, um, yeah, that would for sure be my, my go-to. See, that what about you? Me- What's your um, first show that you would go to? Um, I think it might be kind of like a like a Dave Matthews or something. I could just like mm-hmm. get super chill to um, outdoor, mm-hmm. nice weather, you know. And then the the tailgating thing where you just get a bunch of friends together. Maybe we'll grill hang some, out on some stupid little grill, you know, just whatever it is. Just you know, hang out with some friends. Yeah. Um, get some music. We can just kind of forget about yourself for a little bit of time. Hopefully, hopefully someone else is driving. <laughs> so you don't have to like worry about it. You're like, oh, yeah. my mom's going to pick me up. Actually, That's this fine. place is is like an hour from my parents. So I imagine one day in the future, I'm going to be like, hey. Uh. You come get me. Yeah, I know. My daughter can drive now. So I've told her. Oh. You know, mom may call you after a concert. <laughs> you have a DD. <laughs> don't do what I'm doing, right? See, I'm not driving. I'm calling you. So you do that yeah, with me. Yeah, you do the same thing. So. That's cool. I like it. It's good. Yeah. Good example. Like, okay, mom, whatever. Right. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that age. They still believe everything I say for the most part. For the most part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It goes away pretty quickly. Yeah. Hey, where, where can people connect with you? They want to follow you. Sure. Learn more about you. Say hi. Start a conversation. Yeah. What is so on LinkedIn, right? Okay. Christelle Flaha, LinkedIn. You can find me on there. Um, and then my Twitter handle is Marketing Stella. So MKTG Stella. Um, Where does that come from? Is that like a nickname? So Stella is my, uh, my nickname. I got it in college. Um, and now it's my Starbucks name. <laughs> because trying to get somebody to actually like write out Christelle is really hard. It's true. Um, so, and a couple people, like a lot of my really good friends call me, call me Stella. So where did it come from? It was this some crazy night. No. So, um, back in, in college, I mean, Seinfeld was a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the Seinfeld episode where Elaine, um, takes too many, I think it's, it's pills for her back. And, um, the, I think, 
I can't remember what it is. I think it's her aunt and uncle or Jerry's aunt and uncle. And the, her, the woman's name is Stella. And she does the um, Stella. Yes. So um, I'm and I have right curly oh, hair and, you know, I had glasses. And so I kind of looked a little bit like Elaine back then. And so it just kind of stuck. That's funny. That That's cool. I, I just found the uh, the episode. Yeah, that, that's funny that uh, that's cool. It's cool. And you're right. It's easier. I mean, I, I've had Starbucks call me Cassie and all sorts of weird <laughs> things. Maybe we all should just, you know, for one day, just all tell them the same name, the whole, everyone. The whole, yeah, that'd be interesting. Start a trend. But it's so funny, like, how many people um, have a Starbucks name? I don't have one. I should, I should come up you with should one. You should come up with one. Um, I have one for the, oh, the haircutting place. They're like, they're always like first name, last name. But I'm like, why do you need my last, or last initial? Oh, okay. So I always started, I start, see, this is me. I need to get up to your level where you just full out different name, but I'm like, who Casey? Then like, what's your last initial? And I pick a random letter, but I settled on oh. X. Because oh, that's good. They're like, what's your last name? Xylophone? Like, they don't, <laughs> how do you have a last name? <laughs> um, but yeah, I should change my first name too. You should, you should. Yeah. On the X thing, when I always spell my last name, right. Cause it ends with an X and it's true. A, you know, I'm like F like Frank, L like Larry, A, you know, and then I get to X and I'm like, X like, x-ray x-ray or xylophone and then that that's about it <laughs> there's like the not x. many options <laughs> yeah <laughs> you gotta pick one or two well yeah. hey, this has been awesome thank you for hanging out with me and, and and teaching and sharing this knowledge and it's been awesome it's been great thank you for having me on i really appreciate it It was a lot of fun yeah it really was um and and for those people listening if you learned something and i freaking know you did because i have two pages of notes front and back ran out of room. I'm in the margins. Um, then share this with someone, be a thought leader. That's what you do. LinkedIn is a great place for that. Tag Christelle, tag myself, but I don't just share a link. You actually put those in the comments. Um, that's how link LinkedIn wants you to put them in the comments. But what you do is you put your takeaways in the top. What did, what's one takeaway you had? You put that in there. You start a discussion. That's what you want to do. That's how you engage your network. And that's what I recommend. And with that, Stella, you're amazing. I love Thank it. You for being here. We'll have to have Thanks, you come back Casey. on later and just catch yeah, up. I'd love to. Thank you. Awesome. Bye. People listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.